0: welcome you to another live edition of the sports box brought to you by our sponsor showcase sports in hamilton showcase sports for the elite athlete and by our friends over at crowd play download the free crowd play app today and check them out at www.crowdplayapp.com for details ladies and gentlemen it's showtime
1: Hey everybody! Welcome to the debut edition of my IQ on the Sports Box. If you guys don't know us already, uh, like I said, this is our debut. My, I am your host, D Bake, and this is my co-host Miles Long. He is the he knows Yo. the ins and outs of uh, the MMA, so he'll be the detail guy, and I'll just be the guy that gets us through the show. Uh, today we will be recapping UFC. 258 and then we'll also be talking about uh the recent uh announcement of the Belter Grand Prix for the light heavyweight division and then we're we'll also sprinkling a little bit of talk about Gina Carano uh, how are you doing today uh, miles I I'm freezing my
2: nuts off over here we am in Texas and we're in the middle of a uh, cold spike like the likes of which we haven't seen since ever. In the history yeah. of Texas, so uh, yeah, my heater isn't working. Uh, the The power's out has been all day, so that's why everything is dark and you see candles everywhere.
1: Just we're making the best
2: out of it. So
1: it's been a yeah. rough day. Yep. Yeah. And be- <laughs> before we get started on the recap, just uh, give us your comments and questions for all things MMA. Uh, you have any questions about the the fight card? We'll be able to answer you as we break down each fight on the main card of course just like i said this is the ufc recap the first fight we'll be uh talking about is the middleweight division uh matchup uh Dorian marquez defeated mikey patolo by a third round anaconda choke what did you uh take from this matchup
2: so this one was interesting i actually did really good on this card like i predicted every outcome it was just it was a surprise every once in a while. This was one of the big surprises. Uh, you had you had pretty much Batello coming out of the gate and he was real heavy on the grappling game. Uh, I think Julian Marquez was expecting more of a standing and trading fight, but uh, Batello, I think his strategy was to you know wrestle with with Marquez, keep him up against the cage, get him tired, and then stand and trade with him. Um, and, and it just <laughs> it turned out he made a big mistake, you know, just there at the end because overall, for the first three rounds or the first two rounds, he was doing pretty well. Like that strategy was working really well for him. It looked like it was going to go to decision, and and, and Patillo was going to win by decision. But uh, yeah, Julian Marquez made something happen there at the last minute with his grappling. That seems to be kind of his special. You know, he kind of seems to be struggling along, struggling along, and then make something happen right at the last second. Same thing with the with the Phil Dawes fight. You know, that that last front kick, he just threw it in there, and it just. <laughs> It just ended the fight. It was one of those things. But, uh, yeah, I predicted a, a if this fight was going to end a submission, it would have been uh, Marquez, and I was right. I just wasn't expecting as technical of a finish as, as an Anaconda choke. Uh, again, it was just Patello made a mistake. He misstepped, and he, he left an opening, and Marquez jumped on it.
1: So. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. In the first two, I just felt like uh, all Mikey was doing was going for the takedown. And once he got the takedown, he just kind of laid on him, applied pressure mm-hmm. on him, tried to wear him out. But in return, he kind of spelled too much energy on himself, putting that pressure on. And then once the third round came, Marquez just knew that he had to go for broke. And then when it happens, the fighter just lets loose. And what he did was he waited until he got a little bit, uh, 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 like spelled out. And then he just went for the kill. He got him with a couple shots, got him on the ground and then was able to get him in that Anaconda choke. It, at first, um, Patolo got out of it, but then he was able to reposition, get it back on and kind of flip over and had him stuck in it to where it was basically lights out for uh, Patolo. And he got that, uh, Mm-hmm. that miracle comeback right there in the last like two minutes of the, of the third round. And then of course they did the interview at the end, which was the the best part. And then it, it looked like he was getting ready to challenge somebody. And then he was like, my Cyrus will you be my Valentine? And then, it, it, and then uh, <laughs> like you, you go on later on and you find out, she said that if you shave my like name or something on your chest, I'll be your Valentine. So, Yikes. but it was, <laughs> Yeah. But it's it, it's a good thing to see uh, him to get off get off right away, considering he had been off for two and a half years with two freak injuries that required like a long yeah. time to recover from. And then he was able to come back, even though he he struggled in the first two rounds. He was able to get the victory and then get uh, get 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 off on the right foot because now he can use that as a stepping stone. To uh, move back up because he, like before the injury he was on a little roll there uh, he was doing a little mm-hmm. good before that happened so I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, where they book him uh, going forward knowing that he got this out of the way he was able to win and all he really did was get he didn't really get hit much he just got taken down and then uh, laid right. on so it'll be interesting to see how long he has to wait until his next fight.
2: No, no, I think he definitely needs to work on his wrestling game. Hopefully he picked that up from this, which is interesting because when he was in the, the, the Phil Hawes fight, Phil yeah. Hawes is an excellent wrestler and he seemed to be, you know, for the most part, hanging in there. Uh, Phil is definitely better wrestler than Maki Patel. So yeah. I'm not quite sure what happened there, but his, his wrestling just kind of wasn't there that night and uh yeah really it really showed and it put him in a position where he really had to, to give it all or nothing there in that last round or he was going to lose so
1: hopefully yeah. he'll, he'll tune that up for the next fight yeah, and uh, and we'll, we'll be seeing uh phil harris pretty soon on, he's going to be fighting on a saturday at ufc fight night uh lewis versus blades and I, i'm very interested to see how he does there but uh Let's move on to the second fight on the on the card, which was uh pretty good. it, it was it took the price of uh, uh the Jim Miller uh, fight against uh Green because uh, at Wayans, uh right after Wayans, uh Green uh actually Bobby Green actually uh passed out. It fell down. They had to put him on IV and the new uh rule with the UFC and, and all of MMA is once you get an IV and you're a no-go because of uh everything with that so uh, they had to scrap that fight off of the off the card and hopefully uh, they are reschedule it in the next few weeks because that's a that was a fight that was booked on uh, two three weeks notice and i actually want to see it, uh, it, it mm-hmm. happen because uh jim mills uh, a guy that's been like a mainstay of the ufc he doesn't get the the flash or the the theme that he should but he's been one of the guys that held the division uh over there for the longest time uh we got brian chiming in welcome to the team guys excited to have cage my iq on the sports box thank you very much for having us give us a platform the talk uh, mma it's been a thing that i've loved to watch the past five ten years and i know you personally have uh, trained it a little bit so uh, it's it's a nice thing to to mm-hmm. do, but uh to tune to the next thing we got a featherweight division matchup where Ricky Simone defeated uh, Brian Carher by unanimous decision all three judges scored this thirty to twenty seven on the card uh what did you think of this fight yeah yeah,
2: I mean it. It was pretty one-sided. <laughs> like like uh, Simone, Simone was really good at just taking away Keller's options. I think Keller wanted to stand and trade because he's he's a kickboxer. He's got the better hands, uh, but Simone just wasn't having it. I mean his hands weren't terrible, but I think if he, I think like that's what he figured out in the second round. Simone kind of stood and trade with Keller a little bit, and then he was like, "Ah, this is a bad plan." So he rethought things, came up with a different strategy. But he, for the most part, just used his grappling. And just dominated the whole whole fight. Now this one wasn't in our original prediction, and so this one I was just kind of guessing on the fly. But like by the end of the first round, I was like, ah, Simon's probably gonna take this one. (laughs) No matter if it's submission or decision, that's yeah, that's how this is gonna end.
1: Yeah, like 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 you said, we didn't do the prediction because there was a late add-on. It got added on the day before right after the Green Mill uh, uh, fight uh, got scrapped from the card. And then I actually like I did like a little research before uh, the fight, and then my pick was Ricky Simone because of what I read with his uh, wrestling background. And basically what I took from this fight was like he was able to use the angles uh, to get his tank downs. Uh, he would go up high, act like he's going in for a punch, and then he'd quickly swoop down and get the takedown. And then he'd go to different angles to get the different uh, takedown attempts. And then he must have had eight or nine uh, like takedowns. He actually is one of the leaders mm-hmm. in the featherweight division in a takedown uh, uh, like percentage. He's able to get a takedown at will. That that's his game plan. He takes you down, and just like in the picture you see on the screen, he likes to use his elbows to keep the guys breathing. At bay, like he tries to push pr- uh, pressure on the breathing so you expel more energy, and that's what he did with uh Brian cowher And the one thing that it was kind of a uh, notion was that Brian Callahan towards the end of the fight, was able to have success when he he took Ricky Simone in the middle of the middle of him, like right in the stomach or right in the front of the face with those leg kicks. He'd do a front leg kick. And he hit him, square oh, got him like
2: twice right in the face. Yeah. And he hadn't,
1: and he had no, he had no defense for it because whatever, like what I noticed with Ricky Simone is when he goes for the takedowns or his punches, he goes wide, his hands go wide. So if you get him in the middle before he gets that takedown with like a kick or a punch, you can be effective with them. And he, but it was a little too late for him because he was already, uh, too far behind on the cards, and he had, he would have had to finish him. But I would have liked to see him use this uh, game plan a little early on and then to try and avoid the takedown attempts that he was getting taken down with. But it, like, yeah. it just seemed like he had no match for the for the takedown pressure of Simone. He just had his way and then dominated. And this is a guy that probably moved into the top 15 and he's only twenty eight. He's fairly young, like like moving into moving into the the ranks of the, the division. And I would like to see him face like an Edson Barbosa type guy next, or or something like that, or a Bryce Mitchell to where somebody that can be a, a challenge. And then if he can win that, he he'd probably move into the top ten from there.
0: But he's mm. a guy
1: to watch out with in the future with how young he is. Yeah. No, he
2: did a pretty solid job that time. It was interesting because Brian Keller should have been using more kicks in terms of leg kicks and stomach kicks. But I think what he was worried about was uh, getting getting caught up. Like I think he was worried Simone was going to catch those legs and then use that to drag him down to the floor. Yeah. But Simone needs to also work on his kick defense then because that's a valuable tool. Like we saw in the in the next fight coming up on this card, a lot of leg catches off of kicks and knees – that can lead you right into takedowns, and they're super useful if you know how to do that sort of thing. And as a wrestler, that should be in his repertoire, but we didn't really see it. It seemed like when the legs got involved, he's just like, ah, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) But to be fair, Keller does have super long legs. That's a a big attribute of his.
1: (laughs) I wonder if he got four of himself where he just thought that he could just go in for the takedown because he had so much much success, and he just didn't think to uh, block it or if, like that's just a thing that maybe Brian Cowher uh, noticed and caught towards the end that maybe a fighter uh, like that that would be fighting Ricky Simone next could use later on and take notes mm-hmm. on okay he had uh, uh, he didn't have success defending the leg kick in the front so maybe if I add that to my repertoire against him I can keep him at arms length and keep him from getting those takedowns if i'm not really good at takedown defense and then go from there and then yeah. try and pressure simone instead of him pressuring you because that's what he used uh to his advantage he pressured the fight and then he he made it his game plan instead of Carher's game plan but yeah. uh we got uh david t- chiming in simone's Technique was flawless. Definitely agree. And then we got Mike yeah. Galletta saying, "Welcome aboard, guys! Welcome to our Sports Box family. We're thankful to, to be part of it now, uh, and thank you so much." Uh, but uh, moving on to the next fight, the third fight, which was a, a pretty good matchup uh, going into it. I thought it was going to be pretty good, and then a the windup up early on started out really good, and then kind of went one sided as we got to like round mm-hmm. two and three. We yeah. had a, another middleweight division matchup where Calvin Gastelin defeated Ian Heinish by split decision 30 to 27, 29, 28, and then 29, 28, uh, where we saw him get back on the winning uh, uh, spell after not having a win for the past three years. Uh, they interviewed him right afterwards and he was so thankful to finally get on the right horse. And then mm-hmm. if he, if you were able to catch us last week on the predictions, what I said was he needed to get back to his wrestling roots and use that because he's gotten away from it. And what did he do uh, after round one? He got back to it. He, and then Ian Heinish, just like in the last fight, he wasn't able to, to to defend the takedown. But before I get into that more, I want to get your input on this fight.
2: Yeah, so this one this one was interesting because Gastelum doesn't usually do a whole lot of wrestling, a whole lot of grappling. Even though his his background for it, his credentials are excellent. And when we co- when we talked about this uh, last time we were on last week, I basically said no matter how this fight ends, it's a Gastelum victory, whether it's KO, submission, or decision. I see Gastelum winning against Ian Hynish and all the all the different <laughs> outcomes here. Um, although I did say that the submission would be most unlikely because they don't tend to grapple much but that it's, it was it was a decision victory but I got a decision victory correct, but for the wrong reasons, right? Like, I was thinking it was going to be because uh, Heinish is, is easily drawn into, you know, making bad moves, and that's kind of Gastelum's specialty in terms of his striking game, and Heinish wasn't going to utilize enough power kicks to the legs and to the calves, which he started off doing that a little bit in the first round, and then he just kind of abandoned that for some reason. But, yeah, I think Ian Heinisch went into this thinking oh, you know, gastelum he's a hes a power striker guy. He's got good hands. So if I force him to grapple, then, you know, I can tire him out. And I might not necessarily be able to submit him, but I can get him tired enough to where I can knock him out or win by decision. But I think he just either didn't know or he underestimated uh, Kevin Gastelum's wrestling background and his, his jiu-jitsu background. Um, I mean, he's a jiu-jitsu, bli- jiu-jitsu black belt, and I think he transitioned into wrestling once he started doing, like, MMA stuff. But... I mean yeah, the dude's the dude's really really good on the ground. You can't underestimate him. He just tends to enjoy tra- standing and trading hands more so than grappling. And I think Ian Heinish started out with that plan, probably first round, a little into the second round, and then he figured out, okay, this is not this is not a good game plan anymore. I need to change things up. But by that time, it was too late. You know, Gastelum, he smelled blood in the water. So he's like, all right, let's keep doing this. This is this is actually working out really well for me. <laughs> so I think that was uh, that's kind of what his game plan turned into because at the beginning, he was not interested in grappling at all, really. Gastelum was all hands in the beginning. But then as Ian Hindish kept, you know, putting him up against the cage, forcing him to wrestle, and, and you know, Gastelum had more and more opportunities for the takedowns, for, you know, just working on him on the ground, working on him on the cage. He figured out, you know what, this is probably going to be the better way to to beat him because he's completely outclassed he just he can't wrestle or uh, he doesn't have a good as as good of a ground game as gasoline does and it just became more and more obvious as the fight went on so yeah i think i think probably halfway through gasoline kind of changed up his game plan and figured you know what this is probably going to be the way to go is you know win with the takedowns and win by a decision rather than you know try to stand and trade with him and hope for a knockout so it was a good plan he did it very very well uh, again, a lot of big hits, uh, to gasoline, but he had such a chin on him, like with those knees to the face, he just took them and then put Einish heinish <laughs> back on the ground. That's what we were talking about, about the, about the last fight with Simone. That's kind of what he should have been doing with his wrestling background is looking for opportunities to take those kicks and take those knees and then turn them into takedowns and start working on the ground, just like gasoline did just throughout this fight. He did it at least
1: four times that I remember, but yeah, it was, it was a very good match. Very good match. Yeah. We got a uh, Thomas chairman and congrats joining the sports box. Great for a show. Thank you very much. Uh, but my opinion on this was like in the beginning, I thought the fight was going to end early on with with those uh, mm-hmm. two Kimura locks that he had uh, Gaslin put in. Like oh, he yeah. had that bent back <laughs> so far, I was waiting for him to uh, to tap. Like that's how far he had it. Uh, but yeah. the, but then he was able to weather the storm, get out of it, and then after that, like he, he was he, he had to take down, and then it just seemed like with how easy he had it going, just like in the picture that I had, how he just ragdolled him uh, down. He just, mm-hmm. just like you said, he smelled uh, uh, like, like just blood, and then he went for went for the kill each time, and then he had no defense for it. He just yeah. picked them up, threw him down, picked them up, threw him down, and, and it was just on like repeat, like, and then yeah. he would just pressure him, get him with the elbows, tired him out, the, and then he just won that way. It was like the old Kelvin gasoline where he used the wrestling to get his game going instead of just going training blows right away up, up top left and right, because that's how he would lose. He'd do that, get away from his game and then get behind on the scorecard because his, his striking isn't his bread and butter. It's his wrestling. Mm -hmm. So he was able to do that, get that going. He basically, kept himself in the top ten with this. Because if he would have lost, he would have fell outside the top ten. So I'd be oh, yeah. interested to see who they pin him up against now because he he has to move up. I think he was in the bottom half of the top ten. So it'll be interesting was to see number what guy. Nine,
2: I believe. I think he was number nine before this fight and Heinisch was fifteen. So we'll yeah. see. Maybe like a number seven, number six pick,
1: something like that. Yeah. Other than that, like we got quite a bit of guys in that in that uh middleweight division to uh go after. Like I would have to look mm-hmm. at it, but uh it's not gonna get anybody in the top five because he ah. just fell outside of it. I, I could see him getting a rematch with Jared Cannonier. Because he lost, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really have anybody. Because you got Whitaker going up against Costa, you got a uh, Asana, of course, going up against Jan Jojovic, and then mm-hmm. that leaves Cannonier uh, free and open, with knowing to fight. So I'd be interested to see if they go. Oh, we'll get you him again, and see how you do with that. And mm-hmm. then if he wins that, then he can creep back up into the top five and get a, and take the loser of maybe costa and whitaker because whitaker, you kind of kind of start eliminating guys from that title picture especially with uh, adesana if adesana wins he's going to be a double champion so he might uh, uh, relinquish that uh, middleweight uh, title and then you're going to have to uh, have a situation kind of like in the lightweight where You're going to need to find a new champion because he's going to move up the light heavyweight now by being champion. He's not going to try and defend both. I doubt it. Uh, The only person that I've seen that to defend both belts when they've had it was Amanda Nunez and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's
2: true.
1: Yeah. But uh, it's good to see him get back on track. Like he was a beast beforehand and then fell off for the three years, but now he's back. Now he's on the winning yeah. side, and he can get moving back to that uh, goal that he had that he set on Saturday and get back into the title picture.
2: Yeah. I'm wondering what's going to happen to Ian Heinish because he wasn't really all that highly ranked before this fight, and I mean, that's the thing. Every turn, he was outclassed. He had two yeah. excellent Kimura setups. That should have be, should have been the end of it, and I mean gasoline was defending really well like given the angle and the fact that he didn't have the arm behind the back or he didn't have it close enough into the into the body to put enough torsion on the shoulder he was just literally overpowered twice when given yeah. a perfect Kamora setup and then just take it down over and over and over again throughout the fight i see him falling out of the top 15 and i don't know if we hear from ian heinish anymore uh, this might be it for him
1: i i I hope we hear from him again because he it was was a good story to hear about him like he was down like he was basically at rock bottom he was in Riker island he was in jail comes out that has like a complete 360 uh life uh switch it goes on the good side starts training mma it keeps him at bay Nothing happened, and then his father actually came out and was, was one of his uh, uh, one of his guys at the uh, ringside or at, yeah. at the side of the octagon. His dad came out to be part of his uh crew, which was a, a good thing for him, like it's a good uh, sign for him. And then it sucks that he lost, but at least we got to see a little bit of, of the submission aspect from him, which was kind of questionable going into this because that Kamora. Yeah. Like you can lock that on <laughs> any more than he had in there. Uh Like mm-hmm. it, it reminded me of uh, Brock Lesnar on Triple H uh, mm-hmm. a few a few years ago at WrestleMania. Th- that that bad. Like he had it that high up, and it just <laughs> just like you said, he got overpowered, and then Gaslin got out of it, and then got to his game. So like a fight that could have ended early on wound up going yeah. just like that uh, the other way. That's what happens in MMA. If you if you slip up, the other guy will take advantage of it, and then he'll get things going for him so he can get to that point to where he can get the victory. And that's what Gaslin did. He won by decision. It didn't like he 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 definitely had his shots in striking, but it was majority just him being uh, on Heinisch around the uh, the octagon. And yeah. yep. But uh, to move on to our co-main event, which I definitely would take the blunder for, a, I got this so wrong, <laughs> and you got nailed it right. It. <laughs> you, you you definitely nailed it. It was a women's flyweight uh, division matchup between Alexa Grasso, who defeated Macy Barber by unanimous decision. All three judges scored this 29 to 28. Uh, what did you take from this fight? So the reason I
2: predicted Grosso would win by decision, I basically said that was her main path to victory because going into this fight, it was pretty unsure because uh, uh, Macy Barber's coming off of a knee injury and knee injuries in the world of MMA are just, oh, they're crushing. Like that, that's a make or break kind of injury and it's a career ender sometimes if it's bad enough. So, you know, the question was, how much has Macy Barber re- uh, recovered from that knee injury? Is she back to 100%? Like like what's the state of her game post injury? Because we've seen plenty of fighters in the past, they had a a very different game before and after an injury and typically after the injury, if they don't have enough time and enough experience to adjust quickly, they they tend to just go on this losing streak until they they just, you know, fall out of the public eye. Uh, and that, unfortunately that seems to be what happened to Macy Barber is post injury. The thing is she wasn't moving too differently. She was still working. She was still staying busy. I think what happened is it fucked with her mentally. Like you hear sometimes, uh, NFL players talk about how, like if they have knee injuries, it gets in their head and then it affects their gameplay because they're doubting themselves and stuff like that. I think that's kind of what we saw here. There may have been some physical impairment, but she was working a lot. She was staying busy, um, uh, but it seemed like, you know, especially with the jabs, what the fuck was that? She was just jabbing into the air, like, five feet away. <laughs> so Grosso was just watching her, like, what are you doing? I saw a meme on Twitter. It was like, uh, uh, it said, Macy Barber's jab is as useless as this gate. And it's just a gate <laughs> on a sidewalk without anything around it. It was like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, no, Grosso did, did exactly what she had to do. She was patient, picked her shots. Uh, you know, did the best during the grappling stuff. Uh, it was so close. Like every round I was like, oh man, it could just, you could make a case for either one. Um, but yeah, no, I think Grosso definitely had more control in the situation, especially when it came to the striking. She's the one who was just landing those big, big power shots and, and Macy Barber was just trying to hold on. So what's interesting is, is we'll see if Macy Barber can, can shake this and hopefully any sort of remaining physical disability will will go away in time but can she get her game back mentally because i think that's that's what fucked her up more in this fight more so than anything physical it was something mental that just wasn't having her perform at her best and if she can't get past this block uh, this might be a this might be a meteoric rise and meteoric fall <laughs> all
1: within a few
2: years of her entering the ufc
1: well, lucky, luckily for her, she's only 22. So she has mm-hmm. quite a bit of time to where she can work on things. And like, just like you said, she came in. I felt like she was a little bit not squirmish. She was a little bit cautious going in because I felt like mm-hmm. she kept on staying like five like yards away. I felt like, and then she kind of do too many like head and then punch fakes. And then Grosser didn't have any of it. She like she basically was like, "Yeah, like keep doing that because I'm just gonna stand here and then yeah. I'm gonna make you come to me." And then Macy Barber wouldn't. So then uh, Grosser would be like, "Okay, I'll come in and then I'll I'll uh, pu- I'll punch you, I'll jab you because I'm the boxer. I can come in, uh, jab you, and then come back out and get back in position." And she would do that. And then barbara would just take it and then she would come in every now and then it hit a shot but she like she was a little bit passive with her game plan like i've so used to seeing her be aggressive with the game plan and she came in passive so i do have a feeling that she was a little cautious because of her knee but her knee seemed to hold up and then as the fight got later on i i did feel like she got her game going because of Her being down two two to nothing on the scorecard, it could have been one to one going into the third. But that takedown at the end of the second round kind of won the second round for Grasso. Yeah. So we could have been if she avoided that, we could have been talking about uh, even with how bad she looked. Barbara could have taken this two rounds to one if she could have avoided that because she did pretty good in the first half of the second round, and then she kind of fell off and then she exploded yeah. in the third that's why we have all three judges doing it 29 to 28 because she came out like a bull in a china shop and just went after grasso and she mm-hmm. she i thought she was gonna finish her but then she didn't have enough time like she's she got going too late and and she's ranked number 10 right now whereas grasso is 50 is 15 so i kind of could see a situation where they kind of flip spots i'd see Mm -hmm. grasso moving to 10 and then barber moving to 15 maybe 12 and then i want to see alexa grasso face roxanne Mataferi, who beat barber because she's ranked number nine so Mm -hmm. i want to see her face her and then i want to see macy barber face like uh, an andrea lee or alexis davis so she could try and get back into that top ten. Uh, I do think that this was a is a great division for Grasso because she's so used to doing uh, straw weight. She she came up from straw weight the the fight before, and it just seemed like she was out, out of position, like she was maybe too uh, big and too slow for those straw weights. So she moved up, and now she feel, now it seems like she fits at home here at mm-hmm. flyweight uh where she can uh use her strengths and and then avoid some of the weaknesses of being too slow because she's in the right spot. You tend to get these fighters where they're in the wrong division and they lose some of their essence of who they are like uh, like Cormier like he kept floating between heavyweight and light heavyweight He's a big he's too big for light heavyweight but he was able to yeah. use the the weight to uh, use his wrestling and to just lay on guys but then when he went up to heavyweight he kind of lost some of that defensive wrestling but he gained some of that knockout power again because he was big mm-hmm. uh, but, like that and the same kind of with McGregor like he, he moved up and I think he kind of lost some of that speed that he had at featherweight uh, because he was tall. And then he yeah. moved to lightweight. At lightweight, he was pretty good there. But I felt like at welterweight, he was a little heavy and sluggish. Uh, and like it's all about positioning and, and where you are division-wise. You want to get in the right spot to where you can use all your strengths and then hide some of your weaknesses. Because you're in the wrong division, you could be too mm-hmm. slow, or if you're, or you could be like your punch power is too light because you're in the wrong spot or too slow, something like that. And then I, I feel like Grosser's is in the right spot. She's going to be in the top 10 now. And then she's going to be somebody to watch out for in the, in the future, depending on who she uh, faces next. Uh, we mm-hmm. got a uh, Bobby chiming in. Welcome to sports box boys. Yo. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, anything you want to uh, say about this before we move to the main event? Yeah, I mean I was I
2: was pulling for Barbara. I really was because like if she had been on her game, you know, before, you know, the last fight where she got her yeah. knee blown out, this would have been a clean sweep. I have no doubt about it. She would have taken Grosso apart. But man, just a <laughs> freaking knee injury, yeah. man. Those those will get you. But I don't know. Grosso. you know, for the division she's in, she's pretty good. Um she's she's definitely not a, a Macy Barber, but yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll see how she does in the future. Hopefully she she continues to improve because when I was doing research on her on her fights, I was like, you know, mediocre, you know, between probably top 11, top 14 at best. You know, just a middle of the road fighter, but it she takes this opportunity to to really train and um, you know, look forward and and try to enhance all the things she's good at and maybe cover some of the things she's not. She could maybe go far in this division. I don't see her beating <laughs> Shevchenko, but maybe she can get into the top five if she works really hard. You
1: know, it, it, like it, I don't know why I was so shocked about uh, Grasso's uh, boxing because I mm. mentioned she has like a kickboxing background, but she looked very yeah. really crisp at that. Like I was expecting her for the to get like the grab on and get doing the takedowns a lot, but she was standing up there and she was jabbing and. Uh, boxing uh, for most of that and then had so much success with it. So she didn't really have to go to that too much, the, to, the, uh, to the ground. So it was nice yeah. to see her do that because she can use that in the future where she can be like, okay, I can use this. I can have confidence with my striking to where I don't have to go to the ground that much and then hide some of that. So just like I said before, like I really want to see her and Raxan Mataferi next. That would be perfect, that 10-9 matchup to where it could mm-hmm. be like the usher into her into the top 10 if she were to win that. And if she loses, she loses and she probably stays at 10 so, uh, because yeah. she's at that 10th spot anyway. So that that's the matchup you want to see next with that. You want to see her facing somebody that already beat barber who she just beat so you can kind of gauge where you're at with that matchup Sure. but yeah. uh before we go to the main uh, to the main event i just want to uh go back to this is the sports box brought to you by uh crowd sign up use uh promo code the box at sign up and get 10 points at startup uh like they they've been a uh, sponsor for the sports box for a while so definitely check them out when you get a chance but uh moving on to the main event that we have for UFC 258 we had a welterweight championship matchup between Kamaru Usman against Gilbert Burns which Usman defeated Burns by third round TKO yeah. uh, what did you take from this fight
2: so, so what's interesting is, so I, I don't have live TV at my house. We don't have yeah. pay-per-view or anything like that. So whenever I watch the fights, I have to go find a place that's uh, showing the fights, right? So this time I went to a place called Wolfies that was showing the fight. Like Almost nobody was showing this fight, which is crazy. It was a great fight. Um, but when I was leaving the house, my mom wanted to come watch the fights with me. So I was like, all right, cool. So, so we, we went to watch the fights and yeah. this fight in particular, every time she saw Usman, just like, that's a terrifying man. Holy shit. Look at the muscles in his back.
1: <laughs> but
2: this was a really good showing for Usman, especially because Gilbert Burns came out. It was just like I said he would. He would come out really heavy in the first round. And the first two rounds were key because, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, Burns doesn't have the experience of going all five rounds the same way that Usman does. It's kind of his thing. So if he can't make something happen in those first two rounds, you know the the chances of Burns winning go down exponentially after that. So Burns came out real heavy on the hands, and he he got Usman a few times. He freaking walloped him like three four times, and it looked like that may have been it. Uh, but unfortunately, he didn't he didn't capitalize as much as he should have on those hits because I think he was worried about uh, getting into a wrestling situation with with Usman. Um, because when he would get a big hit and he would make Usman stagger or that one where he almost put him down on the ground, Usman had to catch himself from falling all the way to the floor. Uh, Burns, you know, looks like he was getting in there to, to follow up, but he wasn't, you know, springing in there with more big hits. He was just kind of walking over and Usman had time to recover, put his guard up and, and you know, ride it out. And I think that that's he missed those big opportunities, and he should have just gone for it, you know. Uh, because even if Usman had wrestled with him, it was clear Usman didn't want to do a grappling game with him. <laughs> like the, that whole part where they were playing feetsies, where <laughs> Gilbert Bird was on yeah. the ground like slapping him with his feet, <laughs> and Usman's like, "Dude, I'm not getting on the ground with you. Get up." <laughs> so I think even if Usman had wrestled with Gilbert in those first two rounds, it could have turned into something of a of a jujitsu match. And that would have given Burns the edge. But I think he was just too timid. And when he was given these golden opportunities, he didn't capitalize the way he needed to. Meanwhile, Usman spent the whole first round and then the first part of the second round finding his range, placing those jabs, figuring out exactly where he needs to be. Because that's one of the things he does with that jab is he finds your range very quickly. He uses it as a measuring stick. So regardless if he hits you or not, he's learning a little bit more about how you fight. And so by the time we get into the second round, he's sticking those jabs left and right. And those jabs have a decent amount of power behind him, considering that they're jabs. I mean, they put freaking Gil, they put uh, Burns on the ground like twice, just made him fall on his ass. And yeah, I mean, just it added up over time, I think is what happened is as Usman found that range, he was then able to start sinking in those big power hits, like his big crosses, his hooks, things like that. And it just overwhelmed Burns up until the point where, you know, it saw a golden opportunity took advantage of it and finished the round by, by TKO in the third round. So, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a solid fight. It was just, it was like burns. He had a plan going in. He had a strategy, but he just didn't execute the way he needed to. And that's, I think where this fell apart because we saw an excellent showing in the first round. And then it just diminished from there, unfortunately. So, I mean, I think he'll get another shot. I I think we'll see more of Gilbert Burns in the welterweight division. He did really well, all things considered. Um, It'll be interesting to see him kind of work through some more opponents within the top five, I think. Kind of get that experience back. And then maybe you know a few years down the road, get another chance at the title if Usman's still holding it. And we'll get to see Usman Burns part two, which I think would be would be a a, a real dynamite fight. It'd be pretty sweet to see these guys fight again after Burns has gotten a little more experience. Um, but yeah, also a very very emotional ending there. <laughs> Usman, you see, yeah. he was uh, he was on the verge of crying there because he's like, ah, oh, I think he felt bad that he had to <laughs> he had to beat up Burns to keep his title. But yeah, that's kind of what you got to do, I guess.
1: Yeah, and, and no one understands uh, how much work uh, both fighters put into uh, oh, into yeah. this fight. Uh, I watch uh, UFC countdown, and then uh, uh, like a, a thing that I like, I applaud uh, Gilbert Burns for with prepping for fights is. He has all these big poster boards where he keeps <laughs> game plans for each matchup on there, so he can go back to it if he has ever has to fight a guy of that skill set. So he has. He had like five poster boards out, and he was just looking through them. He was writing on one. He was like, "I fought this guy who had this. I fought this guy who had that, and that's mm-hmm. what I used to uh, train for this fight and then that fight. So I got to do this and that to uh, counteract this. So he, he he gets into the to the IQ part of the of the of the game uh, where he tries to use that." And early on, he was was working it well. Like he caught uh, Usman right in the face, got him stunned and got him down, but he didn't take advantage of it. He was a little too passive. He didn't want to tire himself out like most fighters do going for the kill. He was taking his his chops a little too far apart. If he probably would have went for the kill and just went uh, nuts right away, he might have gotten the stoppage there because Usman at first wasn't – he wasn't covering up. He was just taking the shots mm. and not defending it. So, so that's kind of a mess up on Burns, but he, uh, Uzman was able to weather the storm. And there's one thing that I noticed in his fight that made a big difference to set up the jabs. And it was those newly trained leg kicks that he was using. I feel like that's like the, the, the rave now with all these fighters is, and those leg kicks in to set up the striking for certain fighters. Like, he, like he mentioned it in the post fight that he got that from Justin Gagey, like learning those leg kicks, having them set up because every time he would go for the leg kick, he'd get the leg kick and then Burns would go to cover it. And then he'd just go in with the jab, go in with the jab, go back to leg kick back to the jab. It was like a his combo that he was using. And then he got a Burns every time. And it kind of slowed Burns down by the third uh, round to where, he was just taking too much damage with the jabs because he couldn't move as quickly as he used to because he's so used to not like getting hit there. But, uh, like before I get into that more, I got a comment. Uh, I'd rather see Usman rematch Covington, but it's possible. Massford it all is getting the rematch who wins either as of yet hypothetical fights. Okay. So like, I'm going to get to that in a second, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, but basically the, the leg kicks helped set up the, the, the jabs, which won him the fight here. Like, uh, Burns had no match for those because like, he kept on having to try and defend the leg kicks instead of blocking up. You see guys like block up and then leave their legs, uh, right open. So he started to tr- kind of hide his kicks. And then each time he'd do that, whose mind would kind of change stance and go after the other leg and then go with the other hand and then he'd just keep on switching back and forth which uh worked perfectly for him and then he was able to recover and then dominate the next two rounds and finally get the the third round stoppage and then after the fight uh, you had the emotion between the two like they, they were formal training partners they worked together uh for mm-hmm. like five years or so and then like it was respect. Like they didn't hate each other. They just want they had the same goal. And that was the the, the championship. They wanted they both wanted it. And then they had to put their friendship aside mm-hmm. uh for that common goal. And then once it was done, you, you saw the respect from each other. No bad blood, no nothing. It was just I wanted this, he wanted this. We had to put things aside because this is a business where you can't let you can't be uh both have it. If you're in the same division, you you got to go through each other now because they're in different camps now. Uh, yeah. Usman's in Denver, and then Burns is in Miami. So, and then what really got me was in the in the I'll get to uh, lose uh, thing right now was they went the commentary is Rogan and Usman, and Uzman was like, "Put some respect on my name. Put some respect yeah, because he I has that." that he has a demeanor that he doesn't get the respect, but like he gets the respect. It's just that people get kind of bored with the fights because the past two, three fights, even though he had a, uh, 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 like a decision where he basically got a stoppage against Covington in his yeah. two fights. He, he has a tendency to hold his, uh, opponent against the cage too much and try and, uh, waste their energy doing that. And it gets kind of boring. So people Tend to not like that, so they—I mm-hmm. wouldn't say they don't respect him. They just get bored of it watching him doing that, and they want to see fireworks. Yeah. So I think that kind of changed tonight. I mean, not tonight, Saturday night, when he got the stoppage. I guess it could just kind of it over for him, where it was like, put some respect on my name because he passed GSP for uh, with thirteen was it wins in the welterweight division,
2: I believe. Um. Yeah, he's he still – I don't think he has as many title defenses, but I think he did pass for overall number yeah, of wins in the division.
1: Yeah, he had 13 wins now, and then GSP had 12. But he's mm-hmm. getting up there on defenses. Uh, it, it's going to take a while to catch uh, John Jones because yeah. he did a, a lot in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But like he's, he's definitely one of those underrated guys, uh, especially with his zero takedown uh, uh, attempts uh, – successfully uh, against him. He has him. a perfect takedown defense. Perfect. Yeah, perfect like, so takedown defense in his
2: whole career. That's crazy.
1: He, he honestly knows something that he needs to do, and he does it when it comes to that. Uh, it's just he has to avoid the sh- headshots here and there to to keep him uh, from being in that status of the number one fighter with like the John Joneses mm-hmm. and the Adesanas uh, and yeah. whatnot because because of that. But other than that, like he he is a very underrated. A uh, UFC fighter when it comes to uh, uh, pound for pound, and, uh, mm-hmm. he just needs more of these uh, fights where he dominates and uh, gets a finish because he tends to just wear guys out. And then I don't know if it's the division because GSB did it, and then now you got him doing it. Uh, but uh, like I'm, I'm excited for him to see what happens next. Uh he mm-hmm. went into uh, after he did the put respect on my name. He commented that there was this street Jesus going around talking trash on him still, uh, which he's referring to Jorge Masvidal, where Mm. uh, he's saying that he had this built-in excuse of only accepting the fight because it was on six days notice when he gave it to him several times, but he declined it, but now he's ready to give him a full training camp. And, and then it just came out the other day that uh, both camps are looking to uh, be coaches on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, uh, mm-hmm. opposite of each other. I personally don't think he de- Masvidal deserves the fight. I don't think he deserves it yet because you, like he, he just lost to him, and now mm-hmm. you're just giving the, the the fight again. Like I personally think it should be him uh, Masvidal versus Burns because that would be a good It'll matchup, a matchup. Yeah. considering you got covington against uh leon edwards that looks like it's getting booked uh because mm-hmm. I, I personally think covington should get another shot but you gotta i think he needs to take this fight against edwards uh win that and then he should be guaranteed it after that but but then it got put out that Stephen Stephen Thompson just went out and said that he thinks he deserves a shot because he's there at number five and he's the only guy in the top five that Usman hasn't beaten. Hmm. So he's putting hmm. his claim to to a title shot. So I, I'm I'll be interested to see what exactly happens. I think he's on the on the outs with that. He needs to get another fight and win that. I, I think maybe a. Uh, uh, Steven Thompson against Michael Chiesa uh, mm-hmm. fight, and then of course, you got the Edwards coming and then Masvidal, I guess, is getting uh, uh, Usman. But like, yeah. I could see Burns easily bouncing back with a win, whoever they put yeah. in front of him, whether, whether it's Thompson, Chiesa, or whoever, like, he'll bounce back. He's that guy that uh, like he's in the position now. He, he took the uh, the champion uh to the brink of things in the first round and then just got beat by a newly acquired leg game from Usman. like he didn't expect it to happen and then it led to the the jabs i think he'll take what he learned go with it and then, and then learn because he's he's still young to me and it, he'll he'll get another shot uh, down the line
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I think we'll be seeing, again, Gilbert Burns and and Usman facing off again at some point in the future. I think he's going to be pretty comfortable in the top five. Um, But no, I think, yeah, Thompson should get a shot if he's the only one who Usman hasn't beaten yet. But then after that, I think it's going to be like Usman's just going to be like, all right, so what's left for there to do? there's a whole bunch of people who want me to beat him up again. You know, <laughs> like I feel like he'll be like, this is it. I've done all the things I beat all the, the top five and they all want to do it again, but they're not going to win. <laughs> you know? But I don't know if between Masvidal and Covington, I would like to see Covington get his jaw dislocated again. <laughs> that shit was very satisfying.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. And then you had a couple of people saying, Oh, he's talking about both uh, Masvidal and Covington. I'm like, I'm like he just said Street Jesus. That sounds like Masvidal. That doesn't sound like Covington. Covington uh, is, yeah. has a mouth, but he's then called himself Street Jesus. I was like Masvidal has been talking, but then he talks uh, like in the background. I feel like Covington will talk right in front of Uzban, and then he'll talk. Well, he went
2: to his. Uh, he went to his his what was it in Vegas or something or before yeah, they fought. Yeah, that right before he was getting ready to fight, he did like that little uh exhibition where they do the training for everybody. And he was there with his with his two second place trophies, his oh interim belt and his trump hat, yelling <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> and he gets his jaw dislocated i think the difference this time will be like his jaws wired shut so he can't talk shit as well he'll have yeah. to have like you know a little little keyboard thing with a speaker so he can type in all his shit talk because he can't use his yeah. mouth
1: anymore it's it's just sad because <laughs> I, like i was hoping to have that edwards uh cham cat uh chima fight because that's the guy that if Chimov would have beat Edwards, that would have been a perfect fight to see, Usman versus Chimap because he uh, has those skill sets and then that uh, uh, traits that would match up perfectly against Usman. That would have been a really great matchup. We're going to have to wait a couple of years for that because of this. This mm-hmm. like, I feel like we're having Tony Ferguson and Habib all over again with Edwards and Chimap with the uh, three, uh mm-hmm. fights being uh canceled within like a five month span. But uh, like, we're mm-hmm. gonna have to wait a couple years for him. But I'm telling you, in the future, look for him because he's going to be the guy that's going to make a difference and uh, and dethroning Usman if he doesn't lose that belt uh, before that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we uh, move on, uh, I went three and two of my fight picks for the for the week. Overall, between last week and this week, I am seven and four. What I'm gonna do each week is I'm gonna keep tabs of my of my fight picks for the main cards, and then I'm gonna add them up uh, each week, and then let you guys know how I'm doing. Uh, like I'm gonna try and uh, pride myself on doing good. With my picks, uh, I like, I thought it was great this week. I had the first three fights good, and then I had the <laughs> the barber and Burns. I took Burns, yeah. but I took him because of his value. And you know, they had a uh, Usman at minus two fifty, and then they had Burns plus two fifty. So like, you wouldn't really win yeah. anything if you went Usman unless you put a lot of money in, because yeah. it was like you bet fifty dollars and you win sixty five. Whereas if mm-hmm. you went burn, Burns fifty, you would win two hundred. So it's like with how the matchups went, you kind of like you kind of had to go Burns. Like you didn't, but unless you had like a like a parlay going with the uh, Uzman, uh, uh, Burns was the the better play uh, percentage mm-hmm. wise. And of course, I, of course, I got that wrong. But uh, but you know, five. Three, for two, five. <laughs> five for five. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going to talk about that right now <laughs> <laughs> talking about all right that's yeah, fine. i'll just uh, do it
2: again next week we'll talk about it then
1: yeah yeah, <laughs> about that too, yeah. <laughs> but uh moving on from the the ufc 258 recap uh if anybody has any questions about that before we move on uh, just comment uh, and then we'll get to it right, right away but uh The next topic we have going on right now is Beltor. We had the uh, Scott Coker announce the light heavyweight Grand Prix, which will take place from April to October. Of course, uh, it's an eight fighter uh, uh, bracket with uh, the top eight guys in Beltor, which I'm actually uh, excited about because this is one of my favorite divisions in Beltor. And you, you, like the, when you look at the matchups, the first thing that jumped down on me was uh, that you had a matchup going right there between Yoel Romero and Anthony Rumble Johnson. the The first question I have for you before we show the other uh, matchups is: Is this too soon to book Anthony Johnson versus Yoel Romero? Or is this the perfect timing to do this? Um,
2: I only know a little bit about Romero. I don't know anything about Johnson. I don't really follow Bellator all that much, but but what's the, the controversy about booking it so soon? Is it uh, like a match thing? Is it an injury thing? Like, what is it?
1: Well, both fighters have just signed from the UFC. Because they're both oh. in. Yeah, the, Anthony Johnson was in the light heavyweight, and then Ural Romero was actually in. He started out in middleweight, and then he moved to light mm-hmm. heavyweight because he couldn't get past uh, uh, Whitaker. Like, in yeah. the, like there was a controversy in their first fight where uh, they thought Romero won, but they gave the decision to Whitaker because was the champion. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah and then, they, and then he lost the second fight, and then he fought Asana, and then basically just got. Just got beat. It was <laughs> so like, you no. Know, it was a bad. It was a boring fight. Adesanya yeah. didn't do anything, yeah. and he didn't do anything, and just asana got the the count by a, a few punches here and there, and then mm, Anthony Johnson is like a, a rubble Johnson. He's a wrestler, but he's more all about the power punching. But he, he like he's known for tiring out uh, uh, too fast if he doesn't get that power punch that uh, early on. Uh, But these two guys both signed right away. They're both uh, like for the division. They're trying to stock that division going. I guess they had this uh, Grand Prix in mind. And Mm -hmm. and you see this right away like, wow, like you book it right away. You would have thought maybe they would have been on the same side of the bracket, but not fighting first right away. Mm -hmm. But to me, I guess the, the thought process in booking them right away is. What if one of the guys loses? Then you lose some of that star power right away. Right. I guess they're thinking, let's book this right away, get the views right away. That way mm. we can hide hide it if if one of them were to lose before that, and then you, then you kind of lose the luster of this matchup. If, say, you had like a Rumble Johnson going against Ryan Bader right away, and then he lost. Mm, if you right. don't have that matchup and it kind of gets pushed to the future then a lot of things can happen in that time so I guess their mm. thought process was let's book it right away get the views right away from that and then and bank on that cash of, of the views and at least one of the fighters will win this fight and then move yeah. on and then, yeah. it, it, then there's the possibilities <laughs> of having a rematch later on mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah
2: interesting so this definitely sounds like a money grab
1: thing like 100 percent. because i mean if you sign
2: on immediately and then you get to go into the grand prix without any previous experience in the division that's yeah they're they're banking on the fact that they already have a pretty decent following they have a reputation from ufc Uh, but it's interesting because even then even with that thought process i'm not sure i would do this matchup because one of those guys has to lose right unless you have a no contest but Essentially, you have to end that with one winner and one person who loses, and you have two very valuable pieces there in terms of you know money makers for the company. So, wouldn't you put them up against you know different people? Because when I look at the Bellator Grand Prix bracket, it looks like they could have put one of them up against the new guy with that ridiculous last name that I can't pronounce because he's like Russian or something. Yeg Yegshiv Muradov. Yes. Apparently, he's the new guy. Yes. So, why not? Put one of these guys up against the new guy, and then have the other person fight Corey Anderson. And then you know you, you still got one guy securely with the star power. The other guy is a bit of a gamble. Like if you did um, Romero Anderson and and then um, the other guy just <laughs> just forgot his fucking last name against uh, Yeg Shemradov, uh, <laughs> we have that fight. I don't think we're worried about him losing to the new guy as much. And then Romero could probably give Corey Anderson a pretty decent fight, one way or the other. But even if he lost, I think he could do a pretty good showing so that even if he didn't win, it would still be like, well, he had a good fight, right? Like people would remember a good fight. So I think that would be just a better long term strategy instead of putting these two guys right at each other's throats at the beginning. And then one of them burns out. And then, you know, the Bellator crowd's going to be over whoever loses and i guess they're just banking on whoever wins like it's a very it's a very odd strategy i think in terms of you know these these two fighters having a long term
1: career within bellator I, I wouldn't have played it that way personally the problem with this was the to me the booking process was they put ryan bader on one side and they put vadim Namkov on the other side because uh, Namkov, uh defeated bader for the late heavyweight title earlier uh, a right. few months ago. Uh, as everyone knows, Ryan Bader was a double champ. He won the heavyweight Grand Prix, and then which got him the heavyweight uh, 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 title uh, over in Belcher. And then he had also had the late heavyweight that he had won before that. So this mm-hmm. is his second Grand Prix. So their thought process right away was, I'm going to have Bader on one side, and I'm gonna have Namcoff on the other side, and then we'll work from there. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. with the process of okay, we won't have them in the first round. Uh, R- Romero and and Johnson. So let's do the second round. But it, there's no way you could do that unless one of them is facing Bader or Namcoff in the first round, essentially. Yeah. Because then you have to. Work with that, so they're kind of put in like a handicap situation right there, and they're giving Bader and Namcoff like kind of like an easy matchup per se, and Machida, who's not easy, but he's at the end of his career per se, and then you give Mm -hmm. uh, Namcoff Bill Davis, who who isn't fighting well of late, so you want to have them advance that's the the matchup that the belter wants is they want the rematch so right. that leaves either you could wait and not have the matchup at all and then you could have like anderson against johnson and then uh what what is it uh dovey against romero but then one but then if they win those mm-hmm. they're gonna either fight, have to fight bayer or namcoff Unless there was like a crazy upset where one of them loses. But I guess it had, so I guess the thought process was we're going to have Bader here, Namcoff here, and then we'll just do the money fight right here right away so we could get it out of the way and make some money off of it. And then whoever wins that gets Namcoff basically. So it can have another money fight there. And then the winner of that, would hopefully fight Bader to make a third money fight. So, like the thing is, we're trying to have our eggs all in this basket, so we could potentially have three great fights in this in this Grand Prix. But it all does, it all hinges on all these hmm, guys winning the way they should. But I wouldn't sleep on that Dove guy because from what yeah, I hear, yeah. he, he like he was a champion there. He has a wrestling background, which is really well, and he can strike. So and then he's facing Anderson, who's another guy that is a newcomer. He just signed three, four months ago. So you got this eight man Beltra bracket and four of the guys are newcomers. So I yeah. yeah, be, I
2: think it's interesting how they set that up, where it's like two champion v former champ, or like one of them's current champion versus a former champion, and then two former champions duking it out, and then the best of those get to fight the matchup between you know the two, best of the newcomers,
1: basically. it's like a newcomer against newcomer, mm-hmm. then newcomer versus newcomer, and then they kind of right. like instead of having former champ newcomer, former champ newcomer, blah blah blah, blah but because they wanted to. Keep Bader here and Namcoff here. They kind of handicapped them with everything else. Right. But, but I think I they just think
2: wanted it to be a little bit more even, probably for newcomers who maybe don't have as much experience fighting in Bellator specifically. So I don't know. Maybe that was the thought process of just having newcomers and then the best of the newcomers duke it out, and then have you know the former champions kind of duke it out, and then. The best of them move on. And then you've got the former or the, the champions versus the newcomers from there on out.
1: I, I thought maybe they could have switched Dovey with Machita, had Dovey against Bader, then had Machita against Anderson. Then it kind of would have balanced itself out a little bit. Hmm. But you know, they went this way. And then the, the way, like my first impression is, the way I see it is, it's going to be. Uh, I actually think it's going to be Bader and Dovey. I think Dovey's going to surprise Anderson. And then I got Bader winning that side, the fans, the finals. And then on the other side, I got uh, Namcoff uh, beating Phil Davis. And then I got – check for this one. I got uh, Yoel Romero taking out Anthony Rumble Johnson. And then I got – Romel, Yoel Romero, shocking Namcoff, And then I got uh Bader winning back his title in the grand prix. Interesting.
2: Interesting. Huh.
1: But that's my, that, that's the first impression. This doesn't start to April. So we're going to be able to break this down in, in a couple months when they get time for that in April, because they're going to do, I think all four fights are going to be done in the span of two weeks in April. Then they're going to do semifinals in July and then the finals in October. October. So it's going to be pretty quick compared to the featherweight mm. Grand Prix that they did where it was, I think, 16 fighters because the featherweight division stacked. It's just that this division was kind of light. because. Yeah. The, the the smarter divisions they're bigger in and then the heavyweight they're kind of good in it's just this division was light and they were able to bring in four guys you know uh, to uh to pack up this division very well compared to what it was before so it's i think right, it's a right. great move by uh beltor this has been their bread and butter their grand prix this is the one thing that i could see the ufc actually take a, uh, like a a, a thing notes from belter and be like let's do these grand prix, because you can have some mm-hmm. shocking matchups and things happen that you're not uh, aware of and instead of having these issues with booking you just do one through eight have one against eight two for seven three for six for first five sure. and whoever wins the tournament wins the tournament and gets the belt and then do it that mm-hmm. way and then you basically – I think that's what uh, – I think PFL, had, they have that format. Uh really. PFL yeah. does it. They do like four, three, four fights in a season. And then they do that in like a two, three-month span, and then they're done until next year. They've taken that, and then they're getting successful at that, and that's why they got to deal with ESPN. But UFC is big, but I think they could take th- th- this away from Belter in the future. I think they will, but I think they'll put their own spin on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe this that would be a good format for doing like, uh, you know, cross weight division matchups yeah. that everybody wants to see. I think that'd be a good format for them to do that with.
1: Yep, uh, but to move away from uh, uh, Belcher and going to uh, Gina Carano, of course. Uh, <laughs> We had it put out uh, last week. We just didn't get to talk about it. Gina Carano was fired from Disney and re- released by her agency after controversial comments made on social media. Uh, what what do you? What's your opinion on all this?
2: It's it's just kind of been a long time coming. Like I know a lot of people. The controversy is people are like, oh, Disney fired Carano because she did a thing that compared. You know, conservatives to Jewish people. But in reality, that's not the only thing she did. Like, this wasn't like one day Disney was like, oh, you posted a thing on the internet we didn't like. You're fired. No, she has a long record of this. So it started way back when, uh, you know, you had the George Floyd shooting and then the Black Lives Matter protest. She was online shitting on Black Lives Matter people. And then later on, you had her doing um, voter fraud conspiracy theories uh, especially like post, uh, I think it was like November 4th, like right when the the tide turned and Biden started winning, she started going online and saying, Oh, fake votes. We need voter IDs and we need to flush out the fake votes. Only count the real votes, like, you know, the basic sort of thing. Um, and then she goes on to do anti-masker stuff. And she also implies that there's like some sort of like, Weird, <laughs> some sort of weird conspiracy theory, you know, where they say like you're gonna get microchipped by the vaccine, sort of thing. Except with with the anti-maskers, she put up a, a, a picture where it said like you need to wear masks on your mouth and your eyes so you can't see what's going on. You know, the implication there is pretty clear. So this was this was just another thing in that timeline, and I think Disney was nervous about it at first because this started back in like she probably started getting on Disney's radar in like September. And they started sitting down with her and being like, hey, don't do that. Stop that. Because Disney's very, very protective of their of their image, right? So they've been sitting down with her a lot, being like, hey, you need to knock that off. Stop doing that. Um, and then finally, this happened. Now, I think the thing that, that made this different was the Capitol riots on the 6th, because this happened post all of that. And if you look at the previous controversial tweets and stuff she put out there, all that was like November before December, that sort of thing. Um, but they were the sorts of rhetoric and the sorts of things that led to the capital rights, the things that people who, you know, did those riots were saying all up until that happened. And I think once she put this, you know, thing alluding to the Holocaust and all that out there, I think Disney was like, All right, we gotta cut her loose. Like this is she is too much of a PR liability, and we can probably find someone. Just as good, if not better. Uh, but the funniest part of this is what happened next, right? So, so, so Gina Sorino gets cut from Disney. And here comes Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Just runs in there real quick to pick up Gina Sorino. And it's hilarious because... He's, he's clearly just doing this for the grift, 100%, because when you see his video where he makes the announcement that they're picking up Gina Sereno for his uh, movie production company that just started, he's basically spends the whole video like lying and misleading about what exactly she said like he tries to downplay it make it seem like it's not so bad and that disney's just firing gina sereno because she's a conservative which isn't true because chris pratt is an outspoken conservative and he's still the headliner for guardians of the galaxy because he just knows how to be professional and appropriate so he isn't you know getting himself into trouble like that um and so you know once ben shapiro picks up gino Sereño he wants to kind of fan the flames of uh you know his audience to get them to come out and see the new movie he's going to put her in cuz his first movie did not do well. It did very very poorly. <laughs> and so I think he thinks if he picks up Sereño, he gets a little more star power in there and he rouses crowd up just the right way, he'll uh, he'll be able to make probably make back the money he lost from the first movie. <laughs> it did it did very badly. I think I brought tomatoes it was like 23 percent approval rating from critics <laughs> it was like there was a thousand reviews uh and it had a 93 percent audience score but 800 to or 850 to 900 of those came in one day and they were all from his fans so the rest of them were like half a point scores one one star scores so yeah i think i think uh we'll see what happens with gina Sereno. she might kind of fall into the ben shapiro grifting thing and just do that for the rest of her career because i mean he's he makes a lot of money doing it so it's not like it's not lucrative but i don't know we'll see what happens with that
1: yeah i i agree with you all this she kind of dug her grave but i will say one thing that was kind of a double standard to me with disney is you mentioned guardians of the galaxy and you mentioned chris pratt who's the director uh, I actually don't know who is directing that movie. James Gunn. And what happened with James oh, Gunn? Yeah. He got fired for similar right. things. And then they brought well, him back. It, it because was a the, little
2: different. Yeah, it was it was a little I, bit I, different I, in terms of that. Because the thing that happened he there.
1: Was, I think he was worse because he did a whole bunch of different things with what right. he said. Like I will say like this added up. I think it was more so this stuff that added up for her. Like this was like the fourth Mm -hmm. or fifth time that she did something. And then they were like, okay, but I think what he did was twice as worse what she did. But I guess because he, to them, he made a lot of money with the guardians of the galaxy and Batista made a big deal that if you don't bring him back, then I'm leaving the franchise. And then I guess I had to try and force their hand. But to me, it's like yeah. a double standard. If you bring him back uh, for this, the, the after you fired him for similar reasons, but then you fire oh. her, and it looks like there's no chance of her being back on a franchise. Yeah. Well, that I was mean, the, the, big,
2: sure, yeah. The ch- the Tim Gunn situation was different on the basis of. Uh, the, The things that came out in the media about what he said were literally things from like seven years ago, like seven years before the fact. Someone went back, dug up a bunch of things he had said in the past. Some of them he had been saying them like... Sarcastically, like they were badly yeah. told jokes, distasteful jokes. But they were like seven years old, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And then someone brought that out specifically to make him look bad. And then Disney got worried about the reputation, and we're like, oh shit, you know, how is the public going to react to this? And so they jumped the gun and and kicked him off. And then when people realized, oh, this is this is something from like seven years ago, they're like, okay, he's not the same person he was seven years. Obviously, you can change a lot in seven years. But with with uh, Soreno, this is like current we've been tracking this. This is in real time. And she still supports a lot of the positions. Uh, The only one she actually walked back a little bit was the transphobic shit uh, with the beep boop bop thing, because she talked to Pedro Pascal and he explained to her why that's so offensive, even though she, she had it explained to her. She just didn't seem to listen to it until he said it. And then she went on Twitter and kind of walked it back. She was like, Oh, that's not what I meant by that. and, And this and that, but like, I mean, this isn't from seven years ago. This is from, like, what's that? Five months, six months ago? (laughs) And these are still things she's espousing. It's still things she believes. So I don't know if it's necessarily the same because Tim Gunn was specifically targeted. And, you know, he was... He had things that from the past he said, which I don't think he even necessarily believes they were just badly told jokes, but they were specifically dug up to make him look bad. There was no really digging involved here. All you had to do was just look at her Twitter account and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what she thinks. That's, that's her, you know? Yeah.
1: Hopefully she, uh, takes ownership for some, uh, for most of the stuff in the future. And then she rebuilds her reputation because she can come back Uh, from this. She can, it's going to take a while. Yeah she just I think she ownership. could. Yeah. I, I
2: think unfortunately while she could because now she's associated with Ben Shapiro she won't because that's part of what Ben Shapiro does is he supports all the same positions and that's how he riles up his base to go, you know, see his movies, do his, his subscription thing for his show. Yeah. So if she's a part of that, she's then going to have a monetary incentive to keep saying and and doing
1: those things, you know. Well, I'll I'll help her out. I'll tell Ray right away. Drop Ben Shapiro. Honor <laughs> right? me. I'll, I'll take you to WWE there and you get go. you out of that for a couple of years. You could go there, make a lot of money, yeah. repair your right. image because Vince McMahon will do that. And then you have kind of that background mm-hmm. where I think she would do that. And then go back after that, like a few years later, go back to Akin because they'll be like, "Oh, sure. you you you're successful on WWE, you repaired your image. We'll bring you back." Yeah, do that. Right. Yeah. Make me some money, and then I'll make you money in return. <laughs> there
2: you go. There <laughs> but you but she go. she's, she's got to do so,
1: something like that where she does something else, gets herself out of limelight, and repairs things, and then comes back because uh, then she right. can come back and then and start getting these type of roles again because people are going to be hesitant now to uh, to uh, give her roles now until she repairs yeah. that image
2: but yeah. uh i think i think ben shapiro is going to work very very hard yeah. and put a lot of money into keeping her because his first movie had like no good actors they were all unknowns yeah. the movie was terrible the plot was poorly written i <laughs> i went through and i got my favorite comment on the uh, audience of ratings <laughs> this was the best one it says, I wonder who invested in this movie to manipulate the market this way. Yeah. No one hears the five initial gunshots through the whole school, even in the restroom three meters away. <laughs> Every authoritative person in high school is ridiculously neutralized somehow. <laughs> Law enforcement can't arrive for an hour because of a traffic jam, even yeah. though the movie's based in a town with a population of 5,000 people in rural America. <laughs> the lockers are bulletproof. <laughs> and that's only the first 20 minutes. <laughs> so i think she needs to definitely get away from ben shapiro that's not going to do well for her these are not going to be like big movies that people will remember her for this is just going to be that time in her life where she made some bad choices (laughs) hopefully she can recover but yeah depends on how far down the rabbit hole she
1: goes but to move on from uh this shit show to uh to the last topic uh we have before we uh wrap things up it was just uh, announced today by uh, Brandon Moreno. Um, he heard from uh, UFC management. This isn't official yet, but it looks like the rematch between uh, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno is likely to take place in April at UFC 261. Uh, the, they mentioned it to him, wasn't set in stone but it's more than likely it's like a 75 25 percent thing but I, right. I i i'm going on the likelihood that that happens with all these title fights that they're having right now in march booked uh they're want to book this one because this fight uh like the first thing i think of is just w- like fight of the year like one of the fights of the year back because they they went and they fought uh the in november then came back on three weeks news and fought each other. And then they yeah. had a five round, just beat down uh, central. Yeah. Like both guys went at it and it was like one of my favorite fights. Uh, and then how do you see like just first impression of the rematch? How do you th- think that it might go uh, this time around. Yeah
2: yeah no that was that was an interesting fight and I called that one too that one I said Figueroa would go by decision, but I didn't expect Moreno to have that good of a performance like he he definitely shocked some people he did very very well and I think with the right training he could win but at the same time Figueroa I think realizes that that fight was a hard one for him he won but it wasn't an easy fight he didn't just skate by on that so I think he's gonna also go and he's gonna make some adjustments in his training. Um, and now that, you know, it's been booked so far in advance, we're we're coming up on UFC 259. So he's got two whole ass UFCs to go <laughs> before this yeah. fight happens. So I think he's got enough time. Both fighters have enough time to really, you know, plan out a good strategy. Figuerito's got some time to figure out where the holes in his game were. And Moreno is, is going to try to capitalize on his strengths from that fight. But I don't know. I think if we see a, a rematch, Moreno would have to make some pretty big adjustments in order to be able to fare with Figueiredo um, because it was a standing and trading fight, which I think was probably a, a better move on Moreno's part. Figueiredo is an excellent grappler. He's an excellent ground fighter. Um, and I think if he got too tied up in the ground fighting aspect, he might bite off more than he can chew. So... That kind of presents a problem for Moreno though, because he tried the standing and trading thing and it didn't work out. So he might need a mixed approach, kind of like uh, uh, Patello and Marquez on on this 258, where you you try to wear them out a little with the grappling, kind of get them tired, score some points for octagon control and aggression. Maybe not on your takedowns, but you can you can put a decent number of points on the card. And then once they're a little more tired, they're a little easier to deal with in the hands. And as long as he can keep his gas tank and his aggression up. He might have a chance at it, uh, but at a, at a rematch, I would still look at Figueroa uh, as, as probably pulling through in a victory. Um, probably this time, not by decision. Maybe something more definite, seeing as they're both going to be going for the for the win this time. So they're both going to be going bonkers on each other. So that usually ends in either submission or or a knockout, more likely than not, just because they they add up so much damage so quickly, someone just
1: breaks, you know. I actually think that uh, Moreno's going to use the same game plan of sorts because you saw as the fight got uh, uh, later and later, Figueredo got tired and tired and tired because he so used to win it in the first round, second round mm. with the explosion, and Moreno was able to weather that. He was able to contain it, and then he went on, and he just like wore Figueredo down. He took some damage but gave it back. And I thought he had it. I think it was the third round, but then like he let up on it, and then they kept going. I personally thought instead of the the draw that they gave it, I personally thought it was three to two merino because I felt like he was their aggressor more so in this fight than Figueroa. But th- of course, with it being kind of iffy, they they always go on the side of either a draw. Or the, or the champion, but the two yeah. judges had uh, had it 29-28 20, uh, opposite of each other. One fighter had uh, one judge had Moreno, and the other had Figueroa. So that kind of makes it a a, a draw uh, with how it was. But I could see something similar like that. I, I think he's going to go with that, and I, I kind of think – Figueredo might lay off in the first couple of rounds. I don't think he's going to go butt guns blazing right away because I, yeah, I think he's going to know that I think he's sure. going to have it back in his head like if if I don't finish him right away I'm going to be in for the same result as before so maybe I'll lay off a little bit and then maybe in round two and three I'll go for that. I'll kind of see where it goes him out in the first round and then I'll get it going a little bit later and catch him by surprise. But, like, it, like to me, it's too soon to pick somebody. I might go with Moreno by decision right now. But if I see something different from Figueredo, where he comes in later, instead of coming out, guns playing right away, I wouldn't be surprised if he were, were to, able to finish him in round three or four by doing that tactic. But it's like these guys mm-hmm. match up really well against each other, and I think it's going to be another great matchup between them because they're both solid uh, fighters and, and, uh, and they both don't get the recognition that they deserve. Uh, they're at that small division, but they will uh, mm-hmm. in April. But uh, do you have anything uh, to uh, say before we get going? We're at the end of the end of the show on our debut uh, edition of My IQ here at the, the sports box. And of course I'm uh, D bake. Uh, Anything before we go?
2: Yeah, no. Uh, thanks to the Sports Box for for hosting us. That was super cool. Um, also, I run a, my own podcast as well. It's the Laughs and Rec Podcast. It's an audio and uh, streaming kind of blended podcast. Uh, I got a stream coming Tuesday. If you want to check it out on Twitch, it's the uh, same spelling as is on my nameplate right here um yeah just tune in we'll be doing a variety show assuming you know we have power and stuff but i was gonna do uh you know some karen meltdowns some uh uh, funny videos as well as uh, i did last week a uh, uh you know video compilation talking about a bunch of bad martial arts and bad martial and self defense stuff and defense against guns and knives and why the things in the videos don't work so uh we'll we'll be throwing that into the mix on the wheel as well so we'll probably end up talking a bit about that so that'll be fun um we just released an audio episode too it was a, it was a pretty funny one i enjoyed it um and yeah every week is audio and video content so so drop by and check my stuff out as well and uh yeah thanks again to sports for having us
1: it was it was awesome yeah, okay, we got Lou Chapman and good job, fellas. Glad to have you on on the team. <laughs> We're glad to be here. And then uh, uh, keep an eye on, on Thursday afternoon because me and my buddy uh, Jim will be releasing a bonus uh, episode of Cage My IQ where we uh, preview a uh, UFC fight night: uh, Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. Uh, I'm going to try and bring out more content instead of just once a week uh, when, when we have these weeks like we just did, where we uh, review. Uh, peak review and then do some uh, news i'm gonna release a bonus episode later in the week To uh preview the fight night that way we still get those in there I, I get my picks in and then we get all the content out because we want to We want to bring all the mma content that we have and can and then i think we might go Start uh dabbing into uh, a little bit of belcher when he comes back in uh, april uh, that way, we can uh, check that out and get to know some of those fighters more. But we're going to majority of the time uh, just hang with the UFC because that's the premier MMA uh, promotion out right now where we get all the focus on it. And uh, we thank everybody for tuning in today uh, to Cage My IQ. And of course, I am your host, uh, D Bake, and this is my co host, Miles Long. We will see you next Monday at 8 eastern time and where we were more than likely uh bring you the news of the week and then review uh your sea fight night uh, have a nice night
0: everybody thank you for watching this episode of the sports box please remember to follow us on all of our social media outlets on Facebook at SportsBoxShow Twitter at SportsBoxShow Instagram at TheSportsBoxShow Find us on YouTube and join Outside the Box our Facebook sports discussion group The Sports Box is brought to you by our sponsor Showcase Sports in Hamilton Showcase Sports for the elite athlete and also our friends over at Crowdplay Download the free Crowdplay app today and use promo code THEBOX at sign up for 10 free points. Thanks for joining us this evening.